I hope your heart is prepped. Amen? Uh, the only way it's not going to be is if you have something that you are unwilling for even God. Uh, God, God God's not just going to take it out unless you want him to. Amen? So God can't even move it because he won't. Because in order for it to be a relationship, you have to be willing. Uh, so if your heart is not ready, uh, then how can God help? If you're already filled with the world and filled with yourself or filled with sin, then how can God fill you with what good he has to fill you with? We must empty ourselves. Amen. And God will do the work and he does a great work. So whatever is hurting you tonight, whatever is on your uh, shoulders, whatever burden you've been bearing, you can right now just cast it away. Jesus said, cast it on me, for I care for you. Amen? His burden is light, and it's easy to bear. He said, and when you take his yoke upon you, you'll, you'll find rest, even unto your soul. No longer will you be wandering this world weary. You can finally lay your head down because you found Christ. So lay it at the cross tonight. We're going to have the word of God preached right now. The word of God can either fall on uh, by the wayside, it, it could fall on uh, stony ground, it could fall on th thorny ground, or it could fall on good ground. Amen? And who interprets that is you. So prepare your heart and say, Lord, I want my heart to be good ground for you to plant the seed that you want. And you know what that seed's going to grow into? It's not going to grow into handcuffs. It's not going to grow into bondage. It's going to grow into a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Amen. That bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you want that tonight, amen, you can get it right now. Amen. As the word of God is preached, don't let it fall on any, good, uh, any ground but good ground. Pastor Young, would you come and give us the word tonight? Well, it's good to see you tonight. I appreciate you being out uh, tonight. I know it's kind of overcast and rainy and so forth, but uh, hopefully the Lord will meet with us, and that's what we intend to do. Faithfulness is a critical aspect of our Christianity, all different talents, different ability. I appreciate the singing, the spirit of the singing here and the people that are involved. Uh, it really does prepare the heart when we think about the words that are being said uh, concerning we're grateful for talent and ability but certainly we're grateful for how it brings us to the Lord to receive. Um, faithfulness is critical. We are people that oftentimes are swayed very easily in different directions by different things. It could be the weather. It could be somebody. It could be a situation. Maybe even somebody sat in your spot in church. You know, don't they realize that's my spot? I'm reminded of the, the remember the story about the, the uh, ship that was sailing out in the Pacific someplace and in that ship, they had come across some islands that they were not on the charts. We're talking a couple hundred years ago, maybe longer. And, and so the captain saw the, the, the landmass and he, he couldn't figure out what it was because it wasn't on the charts. So he lowered a boat and he put a contingent of men in that rowboat and they rowed on the shore. And when they got up the shore, uh, they got out of it and the, the, the individual that was leading the group in the uh, rowboat, he came up on the shore and all of a sudden this fella came walking out of the um, 
we would call jungle, but they would call woods in that part of the world, but came walking out of the jungle towards them. And boy, he looked like nine miles of bad road, you know, scraggly beard, clothes were all worn and everything. And he comes walking over towards them. And the fellow that was leading this contingent of men said, uh, are you the only one on this island? And the guy said, I'm the only one. He said, I was shipwrecked here. And he said, I've been here for years waiting for somebody to come by so they could pick me up and take me, um, obviously, uh, you know, back. And so he said, are you sure the only one here? And he said, yeah, I'm the only one. I've been everywhere on the island. And uh, there's nobody else here on this island. He said, well, if you're the only one on the island, he said, well, what are those three huts up there on that hillside? And he says, well, the, he said, the first one, he said, there, he said, that's my home. That's where I live. And he said, uh, he said, that explains that. He said, what about the second one? He said, he said, well, that's the church I go to. And then he said, what's the third one? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> um, you know, it's amazing. Most of our troubles are our own rather than someone else's. So uh, in that, in making sure we do the right thing. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I appreciate the pastor allowing me to be here. And uh, good to see his dear family again. And uh, to be with you folks, I enjoy your fellowship and enjoy uh, getting to see you again. Uh, and certainly appreciate, again, the music and the work that goes into that. Uh, it is, and I mentioned yesterday that I led the singing for two and a half years without a piano player, and I tell you what, people were really excited about getting to the message, um, more, no more than I, but anyway, look in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, look at verse 1, we're looking, would you please stand with me before we read the scriptures here, we're going to turn to a few scriptures here, and then eventually we're going to go to Exodus, the 14th chapter, that's going to be our text tonight, but I want to get these uh, verses in here so we can maybe get a little clarity as far as what takes place in Exodus, the 14th chapter. Verse 1 of the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, follow along with me as I read aloud, if you would. Moreover, brethren, I would uh, not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were, uh, the, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Look, if you will, to Romans, the 15th chapter. Romans, the 15th chapter. In Romans, the 15th chapter, we're going to look just at the first four verses there. And again, if you'll follow along with me as I read aloud, it says this. In the 15th chapter, verse 1 of Romans, down to verse 4, it says, We then that are uh, strong are to bear the infirmity of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself, but... As it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, the only scripture they had was Genesis through Malachi. They didn't have, as we call it, the New Testament in that way. So when he talks about scriptures, they were written for our edification for our learning, if you please. Look, if you will, to uh, Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew, the 11th chapter. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, I'm just going to look at a couple verses there, familiar verses. 
But again, it's going to remind us that there's a learning process that takes place in the Christian life. Paul said this, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. He had learned it. We sometimes think that God gives us instructions by osmosis, you know. You know, put the Bible under your pillow, and when you wake up in the morning, you'll, you'll know it or whatever. Uh, it isn't. It's because you, we learn it. Now look, if you will, to verse uh, 28 in Matthew, the 11th chapter. It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall have rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's talking about this matter of learning and learning from that which we've experienced or we've seen and read about in the past. But here he talks about the idea of through difficulties and hardships, we learn Christ and are associated with his suffering. We're not a people that like suffering. You know, if I say how many, you know, how many of us like suffering? You know, nobody's going to raise their hand if they do. You know, you know there's cheeses falling out of their sandwich. You know what I'm saying? In other words, it just... They're one brick short of a full load, you know. Um, but the fact is, is nobody likes that. But God uses those experiences in life to learn. That's why it says in the Bible, you learn more at the house of mourning than you do at the house of feasting. Nobody goes to a big party and get together and say, you know, bless God, I was so, had so much fun at that party, I think I'll surrender my life to be a missionary to Africa. Or I think I'll uh, go into the ministry. But you know what? Sometimes when you see someone passing this life into the next or somebody going through something, sometimes we evaluate our life in a more sincere, real way and realize that our lives are limited. And what are we going to do? Only what's done for Christ will last. And all of a sudden we reevaluate it. That's something we learn through hardships in that. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. We'll sit down, and then what I'll have you do is turn to Exodus, the 14th chapter. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these dear folks that through the day have worked or, uh, and, and done many things, and then it was time to go to church, and so they packed up their families uh, themselves. They got in their vehicle. It was raining out, and they dashed out to their car, and they drove through the rain and got here and then came into the building. Lord, I pray you'd still our hearts. I pray you'd quiet us so that we might receive that which we came for in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Exodus, the 14th chapter. Exodus, the 14th chapter. Now, I'm not really sure what kind of preacher I am. Uh, that's not really important, but I know the Bible's true, and so sometimes we evaluate people and say, well, I'm not sure, you know, I enjoy his preaching, or I think he's, he, he, he causes, a, you know, too much laughing or enjoyment. I, all I ever do is go to church. If I, I don't laugh at church, I don't laugh. You know what I'm saying? In other words, we're there. We're in the fellowship of God's people. We need to enjoy one another and so forth. So I think that's important for us to realize that as we hear the word of God, Paul had a, uh, you know, must have been a, a brace of voice, maybe high and squeaky or something like that, and it was offensive to him, to, to people. But the thing is, he preached the word of God. Exodus, the 14th chapter. Look, if you will, there to verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp by Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea, and over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the, in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, 
and the heart of, the, of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took, took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pi-Hiroth before Baal-Siphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dwelt, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace." Now, in this particular story, obviously, we realize they've left Egypt, and Moses has led them out of the, the land of Egypt, and obviously, by God's direction, and they come to the Red Sea. Now, if Moses w was leading, probably, or possibly, what he might have done is taken them north over the Red Sea, and maybe crossed a small area of the fact of any water, and the thing is, is taken them into the Promised Land that way, but he brought them right to the Red Sea. Now, I've been to the Red Sea there. I don't know if it's the exact spot, but the topography and the land and uh, everything else about it is the same. I mean, it is a barren land. I mean, you walk in it in about 15 minutes, and you can see how the people started complaining because I walked in it 15 minutes, and I was sick of it already. Uh, it just is a barren, dry, arid spot, and you're standing there looking over the Red Sea. And he's not talking about something that was ankle deep, and if he did it, that would be more exciting because he, drank, he drowned the whole Egyptian army in ankle-deep water. <laughs> That's even a greater miracle, okay? Um, so that was the Red Sea. And they got there. Now, I want you to think for a minute, and the thought tonight is this. It's this, giving the Lord time to work. Do you know how impatient we are when it comes to the Lord? Oh, yeah. I don't know how about you, but I know I am. Come on, Lord, it only makes sense. <laughs> you, know, you know, zap them, you know, or whatever I need to be done. We want it done now. We are a McDonald generation. They called it fast food, and I mean, if it takes more than three minutes, we're, we're frustrated. Do you know that years ago when you went to a restaurant, you may wait. They, had, they cooked all, they didn't have a conveyor belt that took it through the cooker and put everything on it and stuff like that. There was some guy back there that made the hamburger or the french fries or he made the meal or whatever the case and it took time. People, you don't believe me, but you'd have to go maybe and watch something that did it, but you went to a restaurant, the people talked to each other. <laughs> I mean, they actually verbalized their thinking 
across the table. Now you go in, and they're like this. And four of them are sitting there doing the same thing. They're talking to somebody else, you know. They're texting back and forth to somebody else. It's really amazing. I was with uh, Brian Corner, who pastors uh, near um, Wilkes-Barre. And, um, in fact, the last, was it last Sunday night I was there? A week ago Sunday? I think so. Uh, but anyway, we were, I preached for him last year, and uh, we went to a restaurant after the, the service. And we walked in, and there were two people with the same color hair I had, have, and it, I, I, it was a husband and wife, we found out later, sitting across from each other. And those two white-haired people were sitting there texting to somebody else. Both of them were texting somebody else like that. I said, I, I said, you look like a couple of teenagers here. And so they laughed at themselves. We sat right next to them. We had a good opportunity to share with them. We witnessed to them and whatnot, but it's, it's like that. Now, things have certainly changed. We're impatient. We want it now. Uh, there was a time. How many ever in their lifetime went to a laundromat? laundromat? Okay, all right, a lot of people have. Okay, when I was growing up, when something broke down, you went to the laundromat. And I remember you went, went with my mother, you know, because there was four guys and a, and a girl in our family, and we go there, and we had a ball, you know. My brother would, you know, pick up, and there used to be a commercial, look, your wash is whiter than mine, you know. Uh, and we'd, we'd have a good time in the laundromat as far as that. But everybody thinks, no, that's, we don't do that now. We, we're supposed to have a washer and dryer. We're supposed to have this. We're supposed to have that. And I'm not saying we should go back to that, but we're living in a day and age where we just expect it. Now, I've spent a lot of time in the former Soviet Union, and I know going in the dry goods store, or in other words, where there's places where there's clothing and shoes and stuff like that, go in there and see the, the shelves barren. I remember they, one place I went in, they had a whole wall for shoes, of racks of shoes for maybe five racks high. And probably in that whole wall, there was five pairs of shoes. The first time I went over there was 1993. And when I went over there, I went over there for a two-week trip. Well, I didn't take any towels with me. And so the group that I was with, the fellows, we stayed in a particular apartment. And so uh, I didn't have any bath towels, and there wasn't any provided as far as that. And so I had to drip dry. Okay? And so finally, I gave one of the ladies at the church some money. Um, they call them coupons in, in, in Ukraine. That's where we were. And so I gave her some Money, I said, could you get me some towels, some bath towels? And so the city we were in was a city of 300,000 people. Three days later, she, she hadn't brought me towels or given my money back. I'm thinking, wow, that lady ripped me off. You know, I'm trying to be nice. I, I you know, glass-eyed, you know, when she came into church. But finally, she came back, handed me the money, and she said this, there are no towels in Cherkasi. Because, see, the government runs everything and the distribution and everything, and when towels show up, they show up by the train load, and you better get, and they'll bought right off because they won't see them for another 10 years or whatever the case. It's just amazing. That's the way they, they do it. Uh, they, they call it these oxymorons, you know, like uh, government efficiency, jumbo shrimp, <laughs> you know what I mean? And all these things they have, one of them is government efficiency like that. But it was amazing. And I'm just saying this, that because of the experience we have in life, that we have an expectation that we get it now, the Lord works in his own time. He doesn't work by your clock, your calendar, or your watch. We were sitting there starting a church in Ukraine, and I was talking to Pastor Sheppel. And I said, he wanted to meet the next morning. I said, what time? He said, in the morning. So I thought, well, well what time in the morning? He goes, 
in the morning. <laughs> That's how they operate, you know, as far as they don't have a wristwatch, it's, it was in the morning. So we met in the morning, <laughs> uh, where we're like, you know, uh, I will meet you at 9.15, you know, uh, or whatever. And then if they're 9.20, we're like, I can't even believe it. That's the way American, you know, operate in that. But you know, when it comes to our Christianity, the Lord operates in his own time. And sometimes we have to give the Lord time to work to do his business and to learn to trust him. And the Bible says in the New Testament that these things were written for our admonition, for our example, so we could learn. And sometimes we have to go through some difficult circumstances in order to make that happen. So the Lord led the children of Israel out of Egypt and rather than lead them north over the Red Sea to go to the Promised Land, he ran, ran them right to, the, to the, the, the sea. And once they're at the sea, they have no way to cross it. And the fact is, there's, it's a mountainous area, so there's no escaping that way. And the, the Egyptian army was right there. He led them into a cul-de-sac. <laughs> there was no way out. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in your life in a situation where it seems like an impossibility and there's no way out. It might be an economic, it might be a, um, a, a relationship situation, it may be a financial situation, health or whatever the case. And the fact is, there's nowhere to turn except that way. And that's what the children of Israel learned from the Lord that day. He didn't by mistake lead them into a cul-de-sac. The fact is, is he had a plan and a purpose so they might know who he is and that even Pharaoh would honor him as to what he was about to do. So there's something to do. First of all is this, is to consider that perhaps the Lord means for you to be where you are. No, you can't possibly. You know, there's a lot of prosperity preaching and teaching and churches and whatnot. You know, name it and claim it. You know, if it, isn't, it doesn't make you happy, then God doesn't want you to do it. Talk to John the Baptist about that, would you? He had his head severed from his body. He ate locusts, and, and I don't mind the wild honey, but the locusts are kind of hard to get down. I mean, there have been people that have suffered for the cause of Christ immeasurably. And the fact is, is we feel like, you know, shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? Why others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? I'm not saying we ought to find a fight, we ought to find a problem, we ought to find a difficulty, whatnot. But when we get into that situation, how is it that we approach it? That's the key. Consider the fact that maybe God allowed you to be in that situation. Do you remember Joseph? Sure you do. His brother had a wonderful, dysfunctional family. And his brother sold him down into Egypt as a slave. And you know the course of his life for those chapters in Genesis, but at the conclusion of it, when his brothers were afraid, now that dad died, that Joseph's going to get even with us now, but they came to him and said, you know, dad told us you're supposed to, you know, not be upset about or pay back as far as that. And Joseph said, wait a minute, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, the Bible says oftentimes that God was with Joseph during that time when he could have been miserable in a situation, whether it's at Potiphar's house, whether he's in, in jail for somebody lying about him, he still served the Lord in those difficult because God had a plan. And in God's timing, Joseph became second in command of all Egypt and was able to save 
by virtue of access to food for his family that came down to Egypt to get corn, if you please. There's corn in Egypt. And he was put in a place. And God had prepared him for that. But it was in God's timing. Sometimes we don't know. My, I mentioned yesterday, my wife and I will be been married 49 years this coming May. We were first married, uh, it was five years before we had a child. We, we endeavored to have children and whatnot, but you know, it just seemed that that was not our lot. In fact, the doctors had told my wife that she wouldn't be able to have children. And then one day, according to the scriptures, we had somebody pray over her, the pastor of the church we were going to, and say, she went to her, I didn't know she did that, but she went to him and asked him, said, could you pray for me that you know, I might be able to bear a child? The next month, she conceived. And so we have a son. His name is Jack. He was named after the pastor that prayed over her. And we didn't have a child for nine years, another one. And then we adopted a boy. We didn't know he was a boy. It was a baby. It was going to be born. And the thing is, they didn't know it was a boy or girl. So we adopted, uh, a, 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 ended up being a boy, Andrew. And then two and a half years later, she had a little girl. So my last one was born when I was almost 40 years old. So... You know, when I was taking her to the Christian school, it, you know, some of my dear, warm, cuddly friends said, it's good to see a grandpa taking <laughs> their grandkids to school. Shut up. Um, you know, kind of thing. But I'm just saying that God is able to meet your, whatever your expectation, and he cares for you. But we have to get to the place that maybe God allowed us to be in that situation or the situation you're in. You say, well, everything, does, everything seems to be fine right now. Hang around a while. <laughs> you either have already gone through it, you're right in the middle of it, or hang on because you're headed into it. It just seems like it comes uh, un, uh, you know, un, uh, uh, without any announcement. And all of a sudden, you're in the middle of something. And it seems like there's no place to turn. Let the Lord have time to work his plan and purpose. They that wait upon the Lord. Now, the wait is not this. It's not going down and sitting down and saying, okay, I'm just going to wait on you, Lord. How would you like to go to a restaurant someplace to eat? And while you're sitting there at the table, you look over and there's a, a waiter, a waitress, and whatever, and they're just standing there not doing anything, and you're not getting waited on. And you say, they're not waiting on me. What are you doing over there? Well, I'm waiting. <laughs> no, the idea is waiting is serving. So they that wait on the Lord, serve the Lord, he'll renew their strength. He'll give them what they have need of, as he promised, there's no doubt. So the Lord led him into a cul-de-sac, and when you and I find ourselves in that particular situation, there's no doubt that the best way to, to understand that the, the, the Red Sea will part, or the, the best way you and I can get the sea parted so they could get, go, go across on dry ground is understanding that we may be there because God planned it that way. Have you ever heard of the, the writer or the, fa the, the uh, famous preacher named Andrew Murray? Wrote a lot of books on prayer. He was a pastor in South Africa. He came upon a crisis in his own life. He sat down, he wrote these things down. First thing he said was, first, talking about the Lord, he brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. 
Lastly, he said, last, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. And that's so important for us to understand. This matter of revival is more the idea of us having a right relationship with the Lord and have ourselves open to him rather than think that somehow he is there for our enjoyment. We're servants of the Lord. And when somebody says, oh, come to Jesus and your life will be perfect, nothing will ever go wrong, everything, don't believe that person. And I'm not saying everything will go wrong. I'm saying that you'll live this life as a Christian. And he talks about that idea of us suffering as we live for Christ, but he's worth it. Now, I've only served him for 50 years, January, past January. Honestly, there's nothing prior to that that I want. I've not been all that I should be. I have to confess that. But he has always been all that he said he would be. And so I have confidence in that. So the first thing is this, is realize that the Lord may lead you into that situation in your life. And while you're there, acknowledge that fact. Now, if you happen to get there on your own because of doing something wrong or making wrong decisions, then acknowledge that. That's what repentance is. Saying, Lord, I messed up. I made some wrong decisions. I've done something. I, I, I confess, acknowledge. Lord, help me. And that in doing that, you're identifying how you got in that situation. So many times the Lord will lead us as we're serving, and people say, well, I can't understand that I'm, I'm busy. I'm serving the Lord. I'm trying to do the right thing. I give. I help people and everything else. And look what happened. Well, if you're thinking somehow God is supposed to be influenced by what he wants to do with your life, if you read about any great Christian in the past, Amy Carmichael, how about that? There is a young lady, or when she was a child, now Amy Carmichael had these orphanages over in India because over there they would take these girls and take them down to the temple and they would teach them and train them to be temple prostitutes. She went over there as a missionary, and she started homes for these girls and had hundreds of them. For the last 20 years of her life, she was bedridden. There's a lady in our son's church who was in Amy Carmichael's orphanage. Isn't that a blessing? And, and did have an opportunity to meet her as far as that, but she grew up in one of the, those orphanages and was saved from that that life. And in fact, her was, she was the one that influenced. We think that Amy Carmichael, I mean, she must have had everything. No, it was very, very difficult. And then the last 20 years of her life, she was bedridden and she still operated the thing. But you read, and the fact is, is how blessed she was because she saw it as God using that in her life. So us, you and I getting there is, is important for us to understand. God may allow this to take place so that you and I can learn something. I'm here by his appointment in his keeping, under his training, for his time. That makes a big difference in our life when we look at it that way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The steps of a good man, woman, are ordered by the Lord, and it may lead us into a cul-de-sac. You have no place to turn but to look up. And if it's our fault, obviously, there's a privilege we have of turning from that sin and doing the right thing. There's a second thing here. Not only to acknowledge the fact that maybe God brought us to that place, the second thing is important is this. Be more concerned for God's glory 
than our relief. You know, whenever I get into a cul-de-sac or it seems like there's no place to turn, I'm worried about Tim Young. I mean, that's it. I, you know, this is tough. How rough this is. Now, you've never done that. But if you ever find yourself doing that, the thing is, realize that God may have allowed you to go there. And the Lord, he may, just like the children of Israel, he brought them to the Red Sea, surrounded. They were trapped by the Egyptian army. And what did he say in this text? He said that I might be honored by Pharaoh. In other words, it was for his glory that he was about to part the Red Sea, not for Moses' rod. He is pretty talented with that rod. No, it was the God of Moses that made the difference. So we should be more concerned about God's glory than our relief. Look, if you will, to verse 3 and 4, if you're still at the text portion of Scripture in Exodus. It says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath uh, shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh. It was about God's glory. Do you ever think that possibly God has allowed you to experience what he has so that he might get the glory from your life? Do you understand that in Revelation, the fourth chapter, verse 11, all things were created for his glory, not mine? And the thing is, when we bring glory to him, it actually brings honor to us as well because we're honoring the Lord with our lives. So be more concerned about God's glory than your relief. See, the wrong question is, how did I get into this mess and how can I get out? That's our human fleshly desire. How did I get out of this mess? When we should, in actuality, ask the question, how can the Lord be glorified in this situation? How can I make the right decision, do the right thing in this situation that God might get the glory? If you do that, it changes your perception of everything. The man that led me to the Lord, Sherman Boudreaux, who's in heaven now, he had seven children. They lived in a, a building on a main street in a town. He lived upstairs and he rented out. He owned the building. He didn't have a whole lot, you know, had by maybe a sixth grade education, worked in a factory and, you know, was raising his family. And one time, one night, coming home from church on a Sunday night, he came into his town that he lived, Macedon, there in New York, and he pulled in and they knew he had fire going on. Well, come to find out, it was his building that was burning. His wife, Sarah, said to me later, she said, when Sherman saw that it was our home, he said, and this is what his wife said, said, Sherman said, well, praise the Lord. I wonder what the Lord has for us. <laughs> now, you and I look at that person like, what are you, nuts? But, I mean, he had the right spirit about it. It changes your perception of everything when you realize God may lead you into a situation, and it's about bringing glory to him. And allowing his time to work out the situation that he intended to. That's so important for you and I to understand. You see, uh, he orchestrated the events in Exodus. His way in Psalm 50, it says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That's our purpose, is to glorify the Lord in everything we do. So there's no doubt God may lead us into a situation like he did the children of Israel. It may be also the fact that we need to consider the fact, what can I do in this situation that might glorify him? Thirdly, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Acknowledge that you do have an enemy. A lot of times we don't acknowledge things for the reality. But sometimes we spend more time considering our enemy, and that may, they may have flesh on, or they may be uh, the devil himself, 
We focus more on the enemy than we do the Lord. Acknowledge the enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. So once you acknowledge the enemy and understand the problem, it'll get your eye, you get your eyes on the Lord, it'll allow you to glorify the Lord in your life. I mentioned to the preacher and Brother Justin today uh, about a situation. When I was a, a, a kid, um, our family was young, we would go up to the Adirondack Mountains. That's about a million uh, acres of land in the northern part of New York. Uh, and we would go up there and go hunting in November. We stayed in a tent, a walled tent, through the Thanksgiving long weekend. We drove up there Wednesday afternoon, put it up in the dark, and we hunted Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We weren't, we weren't real church people. We went occasionally. And we hunted Sunday but packed up and headed back. And it would be 10 degrees out at night, maybe colder, snow. And we're in a walled tent. We would take off our boots and get in our sleeping bags. <laughs> we slept in every clothes we had. I mean, it was booger bear cold. And we go out, and then there was a picnic table there. We'd take the snow and knock it off the picnic table and put our Coleman stove there and cook our bacon and eggs. Back then, you cooked eggs by putting all this you know, bacon in there, and it had about an inch of grease, and those eggs just floated like that. I mean, it had to stick to your ribs, you know? Um, but we would go up there, and we, we'd go up every year, and there was a fellow that went with us named Ed Schindler. He was a logger. And he was telling the story one night sitting around a campfire. I mean, it, when it's cold out and it's snowing or it's bitter cold out and you've got a, a fire, you have to, you, it's like a, a marshmallow. You've got to just, or a rotisserie. you just got to keep turning around. Because you can freeze your back and, and burn the front. I mean, because it's like, you know, what you want to do is have the fire in a circle and stand in the middle of it. It'd be pretty cold. But he was telling a story that he said that years ago, he had back in the 40s, early 50s, this is the late 50s, we were camping. He said he and another fellow that worked for him, they went way back, about five miles back into the mountains. And you could walk 20 miles and never find a road in some of those places, maybe longer. But he, they went back in there, they took tar paper, and they went back there and built a, a shack back there. And they took something, a 50, half of a 55-gallon drum that they'd made so they could use it as a stove and whatnot. They packed it in there a couple different times and built it so they'd go back there hunting. Well, they were back there one, hunt, one uh, hunting season, and they were standing together or had walked to a particular area, and they saw bear tracks. So they decided to follow the bear. Well, this bear, they followed, they followed it and went around this lake. Well, it looked like it was headed around the lake again, so they split up and decided to go the opposite direction so maybe they could, you know, in a pincer move, so to speak, is find that or come across that bear. Well, it got towards late afternoon. It started snowing. It started snowing real bad. And so Ed said, I'm headed back to the, the shack, you know, and he figured the other guy would probably be there when he got there. He got there just as it was getting dark, and his hunting buddy wasn't there. They're five miles from the nearest road from their vehicles. The man didn't come back all night long. Ed went out the next morning, spent the whole day walking around. He'd fire his rifle, you know, to see if he'd get it with that report, see if he got any report back from somebody else, but he never did. He, he looked for him all that day. That whole second night, the man never showed up. The next morning, Ed said, I started packing up a uh, you know, a, a backpack that I could take out. I was going to go out and see if I could get some help, come back. I mean, it's cold, bitter cold weather, snow, 10 degrees weather out there, and this guy's been out for two nights. As he was just about ready to leave, all of a sudden the door opened, the guy came in, plopped down on his bunk. 
And Ed said, you know, he asked us questions that's a tremendous grasp of the obvious. He said, what, were you lost? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, uh, but the thing is, the guy never admitted he was lost. He said even after they got back home, he came in, the knees were worn out in his hunting pants, his bare knees were showing, he didn't have any gloves, he'd lost his hat, he didn't even have his rifle. But he had never admitted that he was lost. I mean, everybody would have known he was lost. And we, just telling the story, he said the guy was lost, obviously, but in himself. And until you, get to a, you and I get to a place where we will see ourselves as we really are, we might not do what we need to do in the situation we really find ourselves. So there's a matter of acknowledging the enemy that we have, but then as a result, obviously, keeping our eyes on the Lord. You see, Satan doesn't surrender without a fight. He will pursue you. He may use old friends. He may be, something may be discouraging, or there may be a discouraging response from your family and you living the Christian life. May show you hypocrites in the church, and as a result, it discourages you. He tries to trap you in difficulties. He, he acknowledges Satan's activity, but we should not be intimidated by him. As you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the idea is to realize God may have allowed you to come into the situation just like Joseph, Daniel in the lion's den, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He, he directed them in there so that he might get the glory. Be it known unto thee, O King Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but if he chooses not to, we're still not bound. And he went down in there, and what else did they see in there? And the fourth was of the image of the Son of God. So in other words, God may lead us into a difficult situation. And then what we obviously need to do is realize that he may have placed us there so he might get the glory. It's not a matter of trying to figure out what your relief is going to be. It may be, how can I glorify the Lord? And then acknowledge you have an enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. How many, you may know somebody, and they're thinking, oh, it's so horrible, it's so bad, it's so, it's so terrible, and everything else, because they got their eyes on the wrong thing rather than the Lord. It's a matter of honoring, honoring the Lord, there's no doubt. Every time we resist temptation, we're honoring the Lord. When we choose character over convenience, we're honoring the Lord. Faithfulness over deceit is honoring the Lord. In a portion of Scripture that we read, it said, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So no doubt this idea of obviously acknowledging our enemy and then keeping our eyes on the Lord. There's something else, and that's a matter of prayer. Look, if you will, to verse 10 of the 14th chapter there. Now, the children of Israel see their dilemma, see their situation, and they're scared to death. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. Here it is. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Man, good, they came to a place of praying. That's a wonderful thing. Um, you have two options when it comes to difficulty and you're surrounded by whatever your circumstances are. You can pray or panic. <laughs> Most of us panic rather than pray. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, don't get too excited about them because we're going to see what happened about this matter of prayer. When we can't press forward, move sideways, or step backward, it is time to look upward and ask the Lord to make a way. When we have no other direction to go. Not just praying, regular praying, but obviously when the Bible talks about this forth, this kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You have to be serious about this thing. 
In Matthew the seventh, uh, and that's where he said that Matthew the seventeenth chapter about how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Praying for the children of Israel was first of all urgent, and, it, and when we come into a difficult situation, it's urgent. I don't know about you, but when diff difficult times come, man, I, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying when I'm driving. I'm praying. So God is using that in our lives to at least build that relationship that we might know Christ, learn of him. They were united in their prayer. It was unfeigned. In other words, it was serious, but it wasn't sincere. It wasn't sincere prayer, and it was unbelieving prayer. Look, if you will, in verse 11. And they said, now they guys got praying in verse 10, verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? They just got done praying in verse 10. <laughs> they got done praying and said, You're the cause of this, and you created all this problem. And they just got done praying, the Lord deliver them. Now, you and I may have ever, we may have fallen into that same situation in our lives. I remember reading a story about a pastor. He was in some South American country. And in that South American country, he was going to be staying in this hotel. And it was like five stories high. It was an old wood structure, you know. There was no elevator or anything. It was just he had to climb up the stairs. And he was way up in this, this hotel. And uh, he's thinking, man, this thing is a fire trap. You know, if this thing goes up, there's no emergency exits. There's no, you know, exterior ladders down, down the side of the building. He said, this thing is a fire trap. He says, and outside, all these people are sitting around smoking and everything else. This is all made out of basically kindling wood. It's an old wood structure. He said, you know, so um, he started praying. He said, I'm going to pray. So he started praying. He said, Lord, he said, you know, this thing is an old, rickety old fire trap, and there's probably people laying in bed in this building someplace, smoking in bed, not even thinking about the fact of what's going on. There are people all around down there below on the, on the, on the uh, uh, you know, sidewalk around it that were smoking, and man, it could open a fire trap. And he said, when I got done praying, I was so nervous, I stayed awake all night. <laughs> now, have you ever done that? Sometimes our own prayers scare us. You know, we remind you know, ourselves of all the bad things that, Lord, you got to take care of this, Lord. That's not what the Lord's talking about. Cast your care upon him, for he careth for you. He giveth his beloved sleep. See, that's the where we learn the Lord is in the difficult times, when the pressure's on. God, why does he do that? Because he wants to strengthen us. He wants us to be better Christians. He wants us to be a stronger testimony. So here the children of Israel are trapped. They're blaming Moses, said, because there's no graves in Egypt. You dragged us out here. It's all your fault. And the Lord was trying to teach them something. And, of course, some learned, some did not. You see, we need to give the Lord time to work. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, this after they complained about everything, and Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still. Now that's a big one. You know, something takes place, we want to run off like the, 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 you know, the cowboy that didn't know whether to you know, shoot up the street or cut down the alley, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, with a knife and a gun in his hand, shoot up the street or cut down the alley, or the cowboy that ran off in all directions or rode off in all directions. In other words, we go all kinds of crazy and that's what was taking place, but it's a matter of trusting him. He said, stand still. That's hard. 
But you don't know how bad things are, but God does. And he may have led you there, and he's got something for you. You meant it for evil, our enemy did, but God meant it for good, to save much people alive. That's what he said, that's what Joseph said. Amazing testimony that man had. Look at verse 13 again. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. That's when Moses is encouraging the people and helping them to realize that, wait a minute, there's a God in heaven that will take care of you in his time and in his way that he might get the glory. But if we fail the test, he doesn't get the glory. When I was going through Bible college, I was working at a steel mill, and I, and, and I mentioned it, uh, I think, yesterday. But what it was was a mill and foundry. We made the M60 Army tank. We had a foundry, and then they got it. They brought the pieces into the, the building that I was in. There was no insulation in the ceiling because in the summer, the heat would dissipate up through the roof. But the opposite worked in the wintertime. It was booger bear cold. Booger bear when it's really cold, okay? Uh, cold in that building. And so, I mean, we wore, in order to do my job as an inspector, we didn't, you know, use micrometers and various different things. We had a, a machine axle holes and everything on these tanks. And so uh, we would have these salamander heaters. It was MEP gas, but the thing is, is salamander heaters, uh, upright ones, and we'd go from one to another just to stay warm, you know, get our hands warm. And there was a fella that uh, was from the Bible college, and he was there, he had a family and everything, and he was always messing around, so he took a newspaper, and he'd take the newspaper, and he put it against the salamander heater, you know, and it ignited right away. And he reached over and took my flame retardant, retardant jacket and shoved that burning paper in my shirt, you know, just, he thought it was funny. So, I, man, I got that, I said, what's the matter, are you crazy? And I grabbed him by the lapels of his jacket that he had, and I pushed him over this cement you know, embutment that was there where they had a machine sitting on it, and I didn't know what to do with him at that point. You know, I'm saying, I mean, I can't kill the guy, you know, he's got a family and I'm a Christian and stuff, but I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And you know what? There was a fellow standing there that would never come to our meetings, uh, and he just, his name was Paul, and he's standing there and he says, Hey, I thought you guys went to the same college. Now, in his mind, you, you know, you were Christians and you're, you know, and everything else. And I still to this day am tormented about that him saying that he saw us. And yes, he used it maybe as an excuse or whatever, but it didn't glorify the Lord. I could justify it in my own mind, but I won't be able to justify it before my Savior. Or if I'm watching the great white throne judgment and if he never got saved and he went and stood before and was brought up out of hell and, and death and hell you know, as it is, it stands before them, and the fact is, it cast into the lake of fire forever. I wonder if they'll be able to see us and look up into that crowd, and 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 see me. Say, well, you know, you know, your testimony at that time. So we we ought to be a witness. There's no doubt about it. But we need to give the Lord time to work on our lives. Don't be afraid. Maturity can be described as the ability to keep one's passions or their emotions under control. Nothing wrong with being excited. But oftentimes our emotions drive us sometimes in the wrong direction. We're passionate in the wrong direction. <laughs> and that's not what the Lord wants us to do. But maturity is the ability. You have your children. And the thing is, is ah, why did I give me that time? And you, you, what you do is you try to get, your husband's like that, you said? 
Um, um, but the thing is, you try to calm down and get self-control emotion-wise in that way. So maturity is actually having your emotions under control. Although there was good reason to be afraid, there was even better reason for the, re the remaining confidence that we should have in the fact that it was in the Lord, and that's the way they should have been. Romans 8, chapter verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We need to understand that circumstances that come into our life and we seem like we're surrounded and there's no way out, God is using that to direct your attention to him. Bring glory to him. Identify your enemy, but keep your eyes on him. Pray, but don't just remind yourself of how bad things are. And then the idea is giving the Lord time to work. That's hard, but it's being patient. They that wait upon the Lord. In World War II, in December 16, 1944, many of that have uh, some understanding of World War II and the battles of World War II, the Germans, uh, what they called, or I should say the Americans, the Allied forces called it the Battle of the Bulge. What happened, the Germans pushed through, through the Ardennes, which is a, a forested area, uh, and they pushed through in an area that the, the Allied forces never considered the possibility of them ever coming through. But they did. Now, what they wanted to do is go, they went, they were headed west, and as soon as they got past Baston, what they were going to do is start heading in the northwest area, and they were going to try to take back Antwerp, which was a seaport where we were getting a lot of our supplies to the Allies through there once we took uh, that part of Europe. And so they were going to go up there and cut that off because it was devastating to them. The weather was bad, so we couldn't fly any aircraft over it. And the fact is, is, so they pushed through and they came to the city of Baston. Now the 101st Airborne Division, which we are familiar with, the Band of Brothers and things on that, they were not the only ones that protected Baston. And uh, they, they obviously were surrounded. That's where uh, McAuliffe, who was a general, he was a brigadier general, he was actually standing in for the, the general who was actually the general, um, major general uh, of the 101st. He was in Washington for a meeting, and so uh, Brigadier General McAuliffe was left to be in charge of the 101st Airborne Division. And so the German general sent in word to them under the white flag and said, it'd be foolish for you to be destroyed and, you know, your Americans' love for humanity and everything. Surrender. His response and his aide actually said, probably, you know, he, he, he said that General McAuliffe never cursed, never used foul language. He did use the word nuts and a lot of things when things were going wrong, going bad as far as that. And so they asked, said, what's your reply? I had two hours. In two hours, they were going to start, you know, uh, you know, dropping ordinance on them and destroy the whole city and destroy all the Americans. And so he, what's your response? And he sent back, he said, oh, you know, he said nuts, all nuts, meaning the thing's all messed up. And so they sent that word back to the Germans. The Germans were like, nuts, what are they talking about? You know, in other words, forget it, you know, as far as that. There's something else that General McAuliffe said when they were surrounded. He said these words to his men. He said, men, we are surrounded by the enemy. We have the greatest opportunity ever presented an army. We can attack in any direction. Do you get that? He said, we have the greatest opportunity of any that's been presented to any army. We can attack in any direction. <laughs> There's enemy there. You know, we got them right where we want them in that. But in other words, we need to understand when we're surrounded, 
we're still on the winning side. There's a God in heaven that will take care of us. You see, there needs to be a lifestyle in our lives of trusting the Lord. If everything's going fine and wonderful and God did this for me and he gave me this and I have this and God's been so good. But you know when things are tough, really, it really shows who, who, how great God is in yours. I remember in this, when I worked in a steel mill, there was a fellow by the name of Jerry. He was an unsaved man. He was a grinder. He grinded the slag off the tanks from the welders and so forth. His brother-in-law was in a motorcycle accident. Now, you always come in second in a motorcycle accident, okay? Now, I used to have motorcycles. My wife bought me my first motorcycle just after she increased my life insurance policy. I don't know how that worked, but, uh, but anyway, you always come in second. But his brother-in-law had a motorcycle accident, and he eventually passed within a week or so, brain injury and everything else. And so Jerry was there, and I said, I went up there and, you know, you talk to him, encourage him. He'd come in and he had the weight of the world. And I said to Jerry, I said, Jerry, how do you deal with something like that when you don't know the Lord? Because he had been around. He knew us Christians and stuff like that. So how do you deal with it? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, there's, there is a way you can deal with it, that God can help you in that. See, we need to have a testimony so the world knows that, listen, when we're in a tight strait, you find a Christian. You find somebody that can get a hold of God, not just to alleviate our difficulty, but the fact is to know how we can find that sense of well-being in that. Listen to this, and perhaps you've heard it before. It was, uh, when I received it, it was received in the idea that it was a Zimbabwe pastor that was about to be martyred for his faith. And he wrote these things down. He said this. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need pro uh, preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk with patience, and am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, or stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. And that's the way it ought to be in our lives. He's worth living for. And the fact is, is you say, boy, but the things have been tough, and I thought he was. His purpose may be to glorify himself through your life. That's a wonderful thing to do, that you bring glory to God's name. But don't think for a minute that you may not find difficulty and sacrifice and hardships and persecution and those things going on in our world right now. But stand for the Lord. You don't have to flee. You don't have to run. Like the children of Israel, you brought us out here to die. 
I didn't think the Christian life was going to be like this. Well, what were you expecting? Lester Roloff used to say, it's a battlefield brother, not a recreation room. It's a war, not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will. But I came here to stay. And that's the way we ought to be in our Christian life. If you're going to, and I are going to be revived, we're going to get to the place of giving God time to work in our life as he chooses fit to work in it. Is that where you are? If you're here this, this evening, you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. What a terrible loss you have. Because when difficulties come, you have nowhere to turn other than your own strength, your own ability, your own knowledge. And many times it leaves us hopeless, and it is hopeless. But there's a God in heaven. John R. Rice was down in Texas preaching one time. He was preaching on drinking. He got rip-snorting and everything at a tent meeting at the church. Uh, and the fact is, is on his way, he was staying at some place, one of the pastor's houses or somebody's house. He was on his way there, uh, way back after the meeting, and a fellow came out and pulled a gun on him. He's going to shoot him graveyard dead right there. John Rice looked at him and said, you can't scare me with going to heaven. Made the guy so nervous he ran away, you know. You can't scare me with heaven. Now, I don't think you have... Now, I wasn't brave. One time I was in Chicago. We were in this bad area where he, the police said they never go down there unless there's been a shooting. And we were knocking on doors to invite them to a special meeting. And it was, a, it, was a, it was in May. And I still remember I was standing at the screen door and the, the heavy door, the storm door, was open. So I see this image coming to me. And as it was coming to me, all of a sudden notice there was a gun in the guy's hand. And he's just on the other side of the screen. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the business end of a barrel. That thing was that big around. If you've ever looked at the business end of a gun, that's how big it looks when it's pointed at you, you know. He said, what do you, what do you want? You know, I couldn't think of what I wanted. <laughs> I just said, nothing. <laughs> I just turned around. I was, I was waiting to see daylight come out my chest, you know, out this way as far as that. Uh, nah, so I didn't say, you can't scare me with heaven. I was a little nervous. Uh, and the guy that was with me was from that area, and he turned around as well. We both walked off. But I'm just saying, we belong to the Lord. And that's where revival starts. Just realizing who we belong to. Let's all stand together and bow our heads forward to prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize how good you've been to us in so many ways. And there's no doubt circumstances come into our lives. I know I'm right in the midst of something like that. And I'm so thankful I have a God in heaven that knows the answer, knows the way out. I like that song, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness, all I have to do is follow. Strength for the day is mine always, and all that I need for tomorrow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. Lord, help each and every one to realize that it's named the name of Christ, that you're able, you're able to deliver them. Lord, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you in a personal way. What a tragedy. And how wonderful they could come to know you and realize that you ha they have a Savior and they have support and strength. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest unto your soul. What a promise. This world is troubled. And Lord, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we are trusting the one that does. And that gives great comfort and, you know, and, and commitment. So I pray that you'd bless Heads bowed and eyes closed as the instrument plays a hymn of invitation. God spoke into your heart. Maybe you need to come and bend the knee at the altar. You come as she plays.
message. Amen. Thank the Lord. I hope, uh, I hope we got the help we need. Amen. I hope we have some revival going on tonight as the Lord stirs our hearts. His word is powerful, uh, but it will not break through certain, certain things in our life. Uh, God calls us to turn our heart to him first, to, turn, to humble ourselves, uh, and then the, the word of God will do the rest. Amen. We just got to turn turn our hearts, and the Lord will do the rest. Amen. Well, we have uh, some great food downstairs. Uh, you will not leave hungry. You will not leave um, unhappy tonight. Amen. 
Uh, and you say, I already ate before I came. That's not, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, why? Because after church, if, if you're not a church person, everyone knows after preaching, we get hungry. And that's just how it is, amen? That's why Jesus always, there was never a time the Lord didn't have food with them. He, he's the one who made this up, amen? So that's why we got food downstairs. Uh, so please, uh, join us downstairs for some great food and fellowship. It's there. Uh, you might get more help downstairs. The help you need, uh, what you came for, you might get it downstairs, amen? Uh, you know, you could be surrounded by people and yet be lonely. And that's, that's your fault. Uh, because why? Uh, because Jesus... Uh, is a friend, amen? And uh, in order for us to have a friend, we got to be a friend. So don't be lonely. You need to be a friend to somebody today. Uh, you don't need to be lonely. You don't need to live a lonely life, amen? First of all, with Christ and, and, and all the people, good people that God has put around us, amen? So let's close the prayer. Bless the food. And please be here tomorrow night. Well, we have one more night with Pastor Young. Be here. Uh, the message tomorrow night you know God has just for you. So be here tomorrow night at 7 as well, and we'll have food. Uh, the best food is for tomorrow. So be here tonight as well. Amen. Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing on the food. Lord, we thank you so much for that message and how you orchestrated, uh, Lord, this whole service. And, Lord, uh, we dedicate it to you. Uh, Lord, thank you for being there for us, Lord. And it's not about us. We're nothing special. It's because you're a merciful God who has had pity on your children. And Lord, uh, Lord, it's not uh, that we have found favor in your sight, Lord. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that, uh, Lord, you said, this is my beloved son in whom uh, I am well pleased. But Lord, we are washed by his blood and in his name we stand. And Lord, when you look on us now, you no longer see our sins. We've been justified. You see the, your dear son, the blood of the lamb. And Father, we claim that blood Lord, in our lives, and I pray, Lord, that we would uh, Lord, live uh, by his name. Lord, him that nameth the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Blessed be your name. Lord, we thank you for the food downstairs and all those who took the time to prepare a lot of hard work, Lord, and serving you. I pray you bless them. As we minister unto you, Lord, you said we shall be ministered unto. We thank you for it. We thank you for uh, Pastor Young and his family. Bless them. Bless him, Lord, and thank you for uh, the word that he uh, preach tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you downstairs.